And okay, is it a sunny morning in Israel? Oh, it's almost always a sunny morning in Israel, <laughs> even in the cold of the winter. But yeah, okay. it's sunny. It was a little stressful this morning because the alarms didn't go off and the kids missed their bus and we've been running around like crazy, but I think we're good. So <laughs> that is really stressful. At least you are they at, at school or they take them? Yeah, no, they're fine. They're fine. Okay, cool. Anyway. Okay, well where where are you in are you in uh Seattle or Vancouver yeah, or no, where are you? Seattle? Yeah. Yeah. Nice. So cool. Um yeah. But I, so I wanted to, I asked you because um, I feel like you're kind of like a superstar and you're really smart. And thing I noticed is that you're not only a leader, but you, so I, it's not, I, I'm using the word empowered, but it's more like you, you're alive. I feel like that's a better word for it. Like, um, and so I just want to know, usually I, I ask what you do, but this one I just want to jump into. So what, oh, let's start from the beginning. What is it that you do? So I have to stay routine. Okay, so I am, um, I'm a coach and a facilitator and a trainer, and my expertise is in the area of storytelling. So I have a, a business where, um, on one side, I work with corporations and leaders. On the other side, I work with entrepreneurs, some of them on, with online programs and some of them um, in coaching, uh, depending on the need. And my main kind of vehicle for the kind of work that I do is around storytelling. So, but it's basically coaching and business mentorship. Oh, okay. Okay. Coaching. So you express yourself pretty easily, which is not um, easy for some people to do, and you mm -hmm. are alive. So how did you, how do you do that? You know, were you always just like that naturally? Um, I do think some of it is just, um, I kind of naturally, my, my parents used to laugh that I could speak long before I could walk, and I was always very articulate and always talked a lot, I kind of chatted a lot. Um, but I've also spent a lot of time studying communications and language and story and literature. And I think, and, and I read voraciously, like I read a book every week and a half or so, like a couple of books a month. So um, I'm always aiming for the book a week, but I don't always make it. Um, so, and I think that rubs off. I think that has an influence, uh, but I've always been very fascinated by language. And I think, Perhaps that helps. And maybe just practice. I talk a lot. <laughs> I don't know if that's part of it, but I feel like that's part of it. Yeah, okay. Just practice. So, yeah, but it's not about, like, it is also the way you show up. So, you aren't constricted. Um, and that kind of well, your perception of me is that I'm not constricted. I don't believe that's necessarily true. I think everybody has, you know, everybody's constricted in some ways. Everybody has their personal sensitivities. Everybody has their um, areas that they're less comfortable. And, you know, I appear to you and your sense of me is that I'm not constricted and that I'm a certain way. But whether that actually reflects in how I feel or how I truly am, I don't know. You know, so, so yeah, I'm, I'm pretty confident. And I think 
I've always been relatively confident on the outside. I don't always feel confident on the inside. So, you know, sometimes I feel very uncomfortable in certain social situations. And so the way I can be confident is I tend not to communicate so much if I don't feel that, you know, that it flows as much. And I have to work hard on that. And in other cases, I feel more, I feel more relaxed and more confident. So I think that's the case for most people. And it's a matter of just deciding, like, what do you want to get out of any situation? And how do you want to feel? And then, you know, even a, a, just a, a little bit of, well, act as if, and then, and then maybe it will rub off and you'll feel it eventually. And, and that does work to an extent, kind of the fake it to be make it idea. Um, just like think very intentionally about what you want to get out of a certain situation. If you're in a social situation and you don't feel very comfortable, maybe there's no stakes there and it doesn't really matter. So you can fade away into the background if you're not fully comfortable. But maybe there's important stuff going on there that you want to be a part of. And then you have to really pull it all together and just make this enormous effort. And it can be exhausting. But I think also part of it is if you're naturally an extrovert or an introvert. And I think most people who assume are assumed to be extroverts are often introverts or omnivert. You know, like I'm, I'm, I come across as being very extrovert, but I find I'm exhausted at the end of certain so social interactions. And there's nothing I love more than just, you know, going back to the hotel room and just relaxing, having a bath or watching Netflix or something like, because I have to revive. And true extroverts don't do that. True extroverts just jump out and they're the life of the party and, that, and that's what energizes them. I'm not like that. Me neither. But, yeah, but I'm, but I'm confident enough to be able to firstly understand where I'm at. And I think that's the most important thing is kind of do this self, like it's almost like this little scan of how do I feel, how confident I am, how, you know, what do I want, what's my intentions around the situation and how can I pull together whatever energy I need in order to do what I have to do because the intention is more important than how I'm feeling. Feelings come and go. You know, and, and you have to be able to recognize feelings is not necessarily the measure by which you make choices in your life. You know, feelings are just, like feelings are, you could be feeling the worst in the world and then you put on a piece of music that you love and suddenly your mood changes just like that. So like the feelings are the most exterior sign of, of how you're doing. You have to get beyond the feelings and go into the, you know, who do I want to be? How do I want to show up? What's my intention here? What do I stand for? What do I believe in? And when all that's clear, then you get over your feelings and you just go on. And eventually the feelings align with the internal stuff. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It brings up some questions like you and Cindy Porter as well. Like um, I've read in your book, you, you talk about values. And I've mm -hmm. always been really like, yeah, I get it, values, like integrity, et cetera. But I don't understand why they're important, like in my everyday life. Like, Well, they show up in your everyday life in the choices that you make. And also... The most simple kind of explanation for that, and this is real kind of coaching 101, which is if you live in alignment with your values, you're going to feel a sense of contentment and fulfillment and happiness. But if you live disaligned from your values, that's when you have a lot of conflict and that's when you feel you know, unhappy very often or unfulfilled. So understanding what, what you value um, helps you make the decisions and the choices in order to live the life that is aligned and that ultimately will make you feel better. I think that's the most simple way of looking at it. So for example, if you know, one of the choices that I made early on in my career 
was, you know, I was a corporate person. I, I had a corporate job and I had lots of potential in corporate. I probably could have risen very high in the ranks. And I was a manager at a very young age in my mid to late twenties. I was a manager and I had a lot of responsibility and I, you know, had done very well. But um, when I had, um, after I had my second child, I just realized I don't want somebody else to witness all the important moments. I don't want somebody else to bring up my child. I, for me, one of my values is, is family. And, you know, I, I wanted to be close to my kids and I wanted to really build a business. You know, that was when I decided to leave corporate and to start my own business. And it didn't happen from one minute to the next. It, it evolved over time, but it evolved out of the value that I don't want someone else bringing up my children and I don't want to be this um, person who only sees her children for, you know, in bed at night and at the weekends. Right? That was the choice I made based on my values. And so I've spent the last, you know, 15 years building my business around being able to support my family um, because it's, you know, it was aligned with my values. And I look at it, I look back now when my kids were little and I'm glad I was there. I'm very happy I was there. And yeah, maybe it made my career or my business grow a little slower, but that was a values-based decision that I feel very satisfied with and very, you know, in, in retrospect, it was the right decision for me. So that's just an example. But you make value decisions every day about, you know, how you're going to behave to people, how you're going to interact with people, what you're going to prioritize in your life. And the more you prioritize aligned with your values, the more content and fulfilled and happy you'll feel. So do values have to be like the normal ones, like integrity and like honesty, um, or, or can they be things like inspire, or is that not like, that, that's not like a human value, like, not like a character? Well, I don't think, I don't think inspire is a value necessarily. I think you can feel inspired. I think inspire is more of a feeling. Yeah. And, you know, maybe your values is that you want to live, you know, you want to live in an inspired way. So you want to kind of, um, oh, I don't know. It's a complicated question. It's a theoretical question. I, I actually don't really know. Yeah. I think, it's, I think it's important to understand what it is that kind of trends you on, what it is that makes you feel alive and, and, then, do, and then do it, you know. And it's not a one one time you know figure it out and then you're done it's something that there are choices in life because it changes and you grow and like recently I've, I've been working a lot I have very very busy at the moment and one of the values that I've never really put much or one of the I don't know if it's a value or if it's a state of mind but I've never really put much time or energy into thinking about fun like fun for me yeah. has not been God, same. You know, yeah like whatever you know but I realized recently I was just feeling particularly tired and a little kind of worn out. And I just thought, oh, my goodness, I just want to have some fun. Like, I have no fun in my life. I'm just working. And I love my work. Don't get me wrong. Like, I love what I do. I'm passionate about what I do. It's not always fun. So I was thinking, you know, what can I do to add some fun to my life? So, you know, I booked a few tickets and I just bought some friends and, you know, did like just thought about, okay, what can I do? Maybe on my next trip I'll have a massage or do something like you know try and do something that's going to make me feel like oh this is really fun you know yeah, that's not that'd something be... I've ever put much focus on <laughs> massage. sorry I didn't hear that yeah I don't I don't like get massages but it's always like well, that'll be a yeah. fun thing to do you know I, I yeah think. yeah I mean I'm the same I don't do it on a regular basis but I love it and 
you know, there's always a reason why not to spend 150 bucks on a massage or whatever it costs. But, um, but you know, when you do, it's like, oh, this is so worth it. I should do it more often, you know. Um, so, like, I think as life flows, you um, you need to just be intentional about, you, like, I think life is, a, is created every day. Like, it's not something that you decide when you're, 20 okay this time i'm going to live my life and then that's it you're done i think it's something that you're constantly building and examining and looking at and and shifting and changing and making choices and so on okay that makes sense for the values question so um what actually is empowered because you know i feel lately i've been like aware of old thoughts and you mentioned in your book how this you you can invite somebody to dinner and then they say the same story over and over again and i i am in that now and i'm leaving that pattern but um like what is empowered like from a new thought perspective from your perspective um so i think that um on the most basic level, I think that if your thoughts make you feel good, then they empower you. If your thoughts make you feel strong and make you feel capable and make you feel, you know, just like the universe is kind and all is well, then you're empowered. And I think if your thoughts make you feel miserable and make you feel um, unworthy and make you feel like you don't deserve something or like you're not able then you are disempowered. And it's all about the story that you're telling because that's not related to anything factual or anything that's, you know, got any validation. That's just your thought. But it can change your outlook. So if you're telling, if you find yourself repeating a story, you know, my advice is always well, look at what you're telling and figure out why, you know, if you're repeating a story that makes you feel strong and makes you feel great and it's an empowered story, fantastic. Okay, you're good. You don't need to examine that. You just need to live it. Really good. You know, stories are responsible for great marriages and great relationships and great careers. And it's really just the story you're telling yourself. You know, I have this weird knack of being able to sell my way into to, to do all kinds of interesting jobs. So it's like, since I've been out on my own, I have conversations with people and at the end of it, they're like, wow, that sounds great. Okay, let's do it. We're doing the project. And I walk away and I think, oh my goodness, now what do I do? Like, how do I deliver on that? Oh, yeah. So like I'm telling a really empowered story, but then, then the uncertainty comes in. And then the question of, oh, you know, start getting really concerned about, oh my goodness, what do I do? And of course, I always, I always pull it off because it doesn't come from nowhere. You know, I do pull it off. I make sure, you know, I put in the work and I get advice and I do whatever I need to do. And so I can deliver on the promise. But I happen to have this weird knack of being able to sound more convincing than I feel sometimes, which is really great. I mean, it's, it works. It's fantastic. It's awesome. But it's also really scary because it puts me in situations where sometimes I feel like, oh, my God, what have I committed to? Like, this is really scary. Um, so I think that when you're telling a story that would say, oh, I don't know if I can do that and I'm not, um, I'm not good enough or I'm not smart enough, or, I'm not tall enough, I'm not slim enough, or like all the things that we tell ourselves. That's a story that's completely and utterly subjective. It's just in your head and it does not empower you. So that's where, you know, you need to get to, you need to get to why you're telling it, how you're telling it. You need to make a decision if you want to continue to tell it. And then you need to intentionally tell a different story. And it takes a while to believe it, but you will eventually. Yeah. Like, you know, what's interesting is that when 
like you as a person, you're not capable of getting off the wheel of like the story. Do you know? I don't I mean? believe that. I think you're totally capable of doing that. Like, but you're not like conscious of it. You know what I mean? And until well, that's what I'm telling people: become conscious. Yeah. Like when you find yourself in a situation where you're telling a story, you need to stop for a minute. You need to write it down. You need to look at what the story is. You need to find out who owns that story, because usually that story doesn't even belong to you. Somebody else told you this. You know, like it's a school teacher yeah. told you you weren't smart enough, or a parent told you you weren't tall enough, or you know whatever it was. But that story doesn't even belong to you half the time, and you've been telling it for years for no reason, and it's never true. Like if there's a story that makes you feel really bad, I can guarantee you it's not true. Because that's not the way, you know, we're intended to live with pain and with, and with, you know, insecurity and with um, yeah. self-criticism. So like all that stuff that's in us, you have to stop for a minute and you have to write it down and you have to look at it and you have to find out who owns it and you have to decide, do I want to continue to tell this? Does this serve me? And at some stage, the story did serve you. You know, the story served you and it protected you probably you know, defended you from something that you weren't ready to handle. But now that you're older or smarter or wiser, you are able to handle it. So you can decide, you know what, that's an old story. I don't need it anymore. I can let it go. And make that decision as often as you need to, because you don't just make these decisions once because the story will come back. It does, yeah. And when it comes back again, you notice, ah, that's that old story I've been telling. Do I want to continue to tell it? Actually, no. Okay, I'm not going to tell it. It so takes a little bit of time and practice, but you can get rid of it. So yeah, that kind of brings me, so you can get rid of it like on your own. Cause I'm in process of telling myself different stories, like, you know, stories like saying like, I matter every time I feel like somebody doesn't want to talk to me or something. I'm just like, no, that's a wrong thing. Thought I matter and what I'm doing is important or whatever. So, um, but like, with the story, then there's also comes a feeling, right? You, you may put up walls. The story has like so many, like so much power, so many connections to your body and everything. Well, the thing is usually the feeling and the symptoms come first and that's how you can identify that there's a story going on. Okay. So, like if you notice that you're feeling down, that you're feeling, you know, you don't want to go meet with people. You don't want to make an effort. You feel you know, you, you don't have any energy to do stuff and you need to go back and look at, okay, or you have a pain in your stomach or, you know, you need to look at, well, what's the story going on here? Like what's sitting behind all this? Is there a fear? Is there, you know, is there a sense of uncertainty? Is there a sense of like, are you doubting your abilities or whatever? And then you need to look back, well, what's the story I'm telling here? And the story is usually, I'm not good enough to do this or I'm not able to do this or I'm not whatever. And then you have to decide, okay, you know, again, where did the story come from? Do I want to continue to tell it? Is it true? It's never true. But we, you know, we assume it to be truthful because we felt something. And again, I think there's too much emphasis put on feelings because feelings are fleeting. They come and go. And we live by our feelings. And they're important, but they're not true. They're not the absolute truth of our state. They just happen to be the thing that emerges on the most surface level. You know, somebody tells you, oh, wow, you look gorgeous today. You look so beautiful and you feel great. And you may look in the mirror and notice, actually, I, I'm not having the best day at all. You know, my hair is not the way I like it to be. And I've got this big spot on my chin. And, you know, like, but you're still going to feel great because they told you you look fabulous. Even if you're honestly, if you're being really honest with yourself, you know, you're not in their best form. You know, you don't look the best that you think. 
And then the opposite can happen. You look fabulous and somebody will, you know, throw away a comment or say, oh my goodness, that color really doesn't suit you. And you'll feel terrible. And it's got nothing to do with you. It's just them who said something, you know. So, so we have to be careful not to allow our feelings to guide us into everything as the ultimate truth because they, they're fleeting. They change. You know, again, when the, the best thing for me when I'm feeling bad is I can do two things. I can go out for a walk in nature. I can listen to something interesting, whether it's music or a podcast. If I go to the beach, like I can't. If I go to the beach, I love the sea. I love the ocean. So like if I go down to the beach, especially in the winter, and I walk my dog on the beach, I can't, I can't maintain a, a bad feeling for more than five or 10 minutes. I just can't. I physically, I've tried. You know, it's like, you know, I feel bad. I feel sorry for myself. I go for a walk on the beach to wallow in my misery. Within 10 minutes, I'm feeling happy. Like, I just can't physically do it, you know? Yeah. And so this is, this is a great reminder that our feelings are just, you know, they're just the thing that presents right now. And they don't have to determine anything beyond that. That's a good reminder because like for an example, a story I have is like, uh, I was on a webinar, like I was a student when somebody else was teaching and I had a question and I said it and then my feelings came up and they were like, you're hot. Like you're, you're taking, like, I felt like I was amplified, like taking over the whole thing with just one question. And I was like, people are probably like all these people are probably hating you now you're 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 doing too much in this webinar like okay so but then i looked i watched the replay and i feel like i sounded like a timid mouse and i was just like whoa that is so crazy like the inner and outer like my feelings are telling me this but really what i looked like is like no i i mean i didn't hardly stole the show or anything so so crazy how do you ignore them because i'm i would say i'm a, a more i'm a feelings-based person that's just how i see the world like mm -hmm. you know listen hard. i'm also extremely sensitive and you know i've i've always struggled with how much i feel you know i'm the one who yeah. cries at movies and cries at everything and i'm always like super emotional and like super super emotional for everything my family laughs at me like i'm the crier you know and i kind of hold the emotion for the entire family you know um and i'm also i think over time i've come to see that um you, know, you have to do you have to do the inner work around your confidence and your voice and and your intentions and how you want to show up in the world and and just do whatever it is that keeps you grounded in that and so there's lots of practices for that and you know things like i don't know working out if that's your thing or or meditation or walks on the beach or like whatever it is that makes you feel good that whatever it is that makes you feel strong and grounded and secure like they're the things you have to have in your life on a daily basis. And when you do that, I think you're in a much better space to experience the feelings that align with your actual state. Because what happens is, like if you go see a movie and it, it'll be this heartbreaking movie and, you know, this happens to me all the time and I'm like crying my eyes out. And then I walk out of the movie and I feel kind of stupid because sometimes, like, and sometimes I feel manipulated. Like... Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I, I'm just having this huge emotional response to something that isn't either A, it's not true, and B, it's not even related to me. Like, why? And it's because I'm a sensitive person. So, okay, 
But that doesn't mean it has to determine my life. It doesn't have to determine my choices. It doesn't have to determine how I show up in the world. So I try to see it as a positive thing. I'm very sensitive, which means I, I tend to be able to, you know, work well with people because I can understand how they are and I can help them feel, you know, and I think people, there are many people who go around the world not feeling the other extreme. But if you're a super sensitive person, you have to also create that protection around yourself so that you're not influenced badly so that you're not manipulated so that you're not going through the world with this kind of open bleeding heart you know yeah. and I think you have to have an open heart you have to have an open heart and you have to have a heart that's that's um sensitive and and, and available to others but you also if you're if you're a sensitive person by nature which it sounds like you are then you have to be able to also protect that heart and know that not everything has to affect it only the things you choose Interesting. Yeah. Did you, did you just get that term open bleeding heart? Like is that, cause uh, yeah, like it, it really is painful. Have you ever had one a heart that hurts? Well, I've had a broken heart. Sure. Of course. Not from yeah. a guy, but just like, uh, just on the road to like, just being strong, like, or just, I don't know. Well, I think everything in life, um, makes you, uh, it's so cliche, you know, everything like makes you strong, but it does, you know, I've lost people I loved. I lost my father very suddenly, very early on. He was only in his sixties and, you know, it completely broke my heart. I was very close to my father and I miss him every single day. And for years I, I could barely talk about him. You know, it was so painful. Um, but it was also the stories helped me here because, you know, I realized for years I was telling stories that kept me in pain and in grief because, you know, I, I imagined, oh, he was alone and he was in pain and he missed out so much and all these things that I, I, I would tell, all these stories I would tell myself and it would keep me in this incredible grief. And then at some stage, I realized that I'm telling these stories and I don't even know if they're true and I can't know. I can't know if he was alone. I can't know if he was in pain. I can't know if he missed out. I, I don't know any of those things. We don't know what happens after people die. And I have felt his presence at times. And so when I started, when I stopped telling that as the story of my father and I started telling stories about his life and his vitality and what he gave me and who he was for me and his silly, annoying things too, then I really began to um, feel a connection to him that was beautiful and warm and I could talk about him. And so like, um, yeah, it was incredibly painful and it's still painful. You know, he never got to meet my kids. He never got to see my life at this point in my life. It's really sad and painful, but um, that doesn't kind of define my relationship with him or my relationship with his memory anymore in the way it did. So like, I think we have, you know, every opportunity when your heart breaks or when your heart is, you know, ripped open by a situation is an opportunity to, um, you know, to, I guess, to grow strong and to, um, and to carry that with you as you move forward. You don't ever let that stuff go. You move forward. You know, I was broken hearted 25 years ago by, by this guy, you know, broken hearted. I just thought I would never get over him ever. And I did. <laughs> we all do. You know, I thought I'd never get over the loss of my father. And in some ways I haven't, you know, I still miss him every single day, but, but life goes on. And it's beautiful and it's wonderful and amazing things have happened since he passed. So, you know, so that happens. And it's funny, I, I wrote a blog post this week just about how our, our interpretation of our state is so dependent upon 
what goes on around us. You know, I, I was feeling miserable. I'd felt unwell for a few days. I went out for a run and I met this friend who had just lost his wife a few months ago. And and when I asked him, how are you doing? He's kind of, you know, he, he looked so sad and he looked just so incredibly in pain. And he said, well, you know, slowly, slowly, and I have a lot to be grateful for. And I thought to myself, my goodness, if this man is teaching me gratitude and I'm walk, I'm running around feeling miserable because I, whatever, like who knows why I felt miserable in that moment. Like how awful is that? Um, so, you know, you see these moments of hope and beauty and gratitude and like these amazing things all the time if you're looking for it. But if you're going around looking to mirror your your feelings of of, you know, not being enough or or whatever it is you're feeling, then you'll see that too. So you have to be intentional about what you see. Okay. So, uh, you have to be intentional about what you see. So does that mean I'll look for more empowering things or like, does that mean? Well, I think that if you expect to see good things, you will see good things. You know, if you allow the little minutiae of the day to irritate you, then you'll constantly be irritated. Yeah. But if you, you know, if you wake up in the morning, and your thought, first thought is, oh, I haven't had enough sleep, then you're, you're waking up in a state of lack. You know, you're in a state of, of not enough. And that's how you set the tone for your day. But if you wake up in the morning and you, I don't know, do some stretching or you take a walk or, you know, I start my day every day with a walk, even if it's only 10 minutes. And and I take my dog out and, um, you know, I have to take the dog out because the dog needs to go out in the morning. But I slip it into my morning very early and I see it. I, I don't see it as, oh, I've got to take the dog out and then I've got to pick up the crap from the sidewalk and I've got to, you know, I don't see it like that. What I see it as is this is my moment, my morning 10 minutes or 20 minutes if I can stretch it to just it's like my morning prayer. It's like my morning meditation where it's just me and the dog and I walk around and it's fresh air and I look at the trees and I look at the sky and I look at the pavement and I just take it really slowly. And it's like this moment of meditation in the morning. So for me, I, I hate missing when I travel for work. So one thing I miss is I miss my morning walk. And most people resent having to get up and take a dog out and pick up you know, as I said, the crap off the sidewalk, but I don't, I love it because it's a moment of appreciation and it's intentional. You know, I have to, I have, I have kids, so I constantly have housework and laundry and stuff. But I, what I do is I, I, I purposely take that time when I'm doing repetitive stuff that's normally boring that most people find irritating. I just see it as an opportunity to just have this mindfulness, just to be fully present, just to kind of meditate and fold in the laundry. Like it's okay. I don't have to resent this. And so instead of resenting housework, I actually, you know, I don't mind it. I don't mind it. When I'm cleaning my house, I put on a good podcast. I put on music. You know, and, and, and I just feel like, okay, this is what I'm doing. I'm fully engaged. I'm fully present. I don't hate having to clean my house. I actually quite like it because it's a time for myself where I'm just, you know, I'm physical. I'm moving around. Like, it's fine. It just brings these moments that could be irritating and annoying to something that's much more pleasurable and much more connected. So like that brings me to the question because I would assume that you don't do housework because I uh, don't going down the empowerment road. It's like, okay, what black or white, what is empowered? What is it? And so like housework and like cooking, those are things that like, I feel like I would, you know, it's like 
being a mom and stuff like that. But um, lately I've decided like, no, when I get married, I'm not doing housework. I'm not cooking, but it's like, so you do housework. You know, do you see that as empowering? <laughs> Is this like a, a question in relation to gender and feminism? No, but is that the question, or is it like, is it so? No, I'm serious about the question. Like, is this a question about gender and feminism, or is it a question about you know wealth and 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 you know having because there's there's lots of things. Right, for years and years and years, I've always, if I could afford it and if I could find someone, I would always have someone to clean my house. Okay, and um, and recently, just randomly, I've you know, had a string of people let me down. And so I kind of, you know, whatever. But um, even if I have a cleaner come in, I have kids, I have a dog. I'm, I'm constantly, you know, I like being in an organized, clean space. So yeah, yeah, sure, I do cleaning. And, you know, I have a partner who, you know, doesn't necessarily see what I see in terms of cleaning and tidiness. So like, I spent years arguing and being resentful, and then I just let it go. And so... Like for me, empowered is having the space around me that feels right for me. And it's got nothing to do with who cleans and who does this and who does that. And if I need help, I ask. You know, if I, like I'll say to the kids, there are certain things that are non-negotiable. You know, if you want your clothes cleaned, washed, they have to go into a laundry basket. And if I'm busy, you have to turn on the washing machine. And yeah, you have to hang out the laundry. And yeah, you have to fold the, you know, I, like I do delegate as much as I possibly can they're kids and you know kids like to get out of chores they don't like to do it so and for me it's not about oh I can't do that because that means I'm not an empowered woman like it's not that it's about what's the space that makes me thrive and for me the space that makes me thrive is a clean reasonably organized house I like to eat healthy food I like my kids to eat healthy food I cook better than them at this point although one of my kids is, in fact two of my kids are great cooks so oftentimes We'll cook together. Also, I like to cook with my kids. You know, if I'm baking, I like them to come and join me in the kitchen, and that's part of our family time. Yeah. So, um, the two that are the better cooks? You have three, right? Sorry? You have three or four kids. I have four boys. Oh wow! So, yeah. who is the good cook? Let me. Can I guess? It's like <clears throat> the middle one and the younger one. No, it's actually the oldest and the third. Oh, okay. Yeah. The third one, when he was nine, decided he wanted to be a chef and he still thinks he might want to be that. And he's 15 now. So he, you know, does a lot of stuff in the kitchen and he works in a pizzeria and his, like he has a job in a pizza place. And yeah. Cool. And my oldest one, he just is really, he's just like a foodie. So he loves to um, find unusual ingredient, ingredients and he likes to try stuff out and he likes to buy cookbooks and stuff like that. So yeah. And my second and fourth are completely disinterested in food other than they like large quantities of it because they're okay. young, active boys. So they like to eat a lot. <laughs> yeah. It's but fun. I, you know, I, I, I think home cooked decent food is, is part of what makes a family. It's part of my values. It's like for health and wellness and family. So, so yeah, I want to put time into decent food and, and my husband would easily just oh let's just go out for pizza or let's just go out and get a burger so I would rather say well you know I'll just make it at home not always I mean we go out for pizza and burgers too but you know so I mean I don't want to get off track but then I'm wondering like did your career suffer like do you feel like you have a like you do have a fulfilling but is it like did you know I think that it's always a compromise and I think this idea that you know the new world where women are career women and men take over the house whatever it doesn't in my experience, it doesn't really exist. Really? 
I think women always, yeah, I'm sorry if I'm disappointing you, but um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> my, my, my husband is super engaged with the kids and he's, you know, amazing father. Um, and yeah, a lot of the responsibility still, still ends up with women, even the high career women, like they end up, yes, they've got the career and they're running a business or whatever, but they're still taking the responsibility for the home. That tends to happen a lot. I don't know if it's my generation and maybe younger generation is going to be different, but from what I can see, it doesn't seem to be. So the revolution hasn't quite happened yet. You know, I think that men, <clears throat> from a career perspective, women will continue to be empowered in their careers more and more as men really step up to the household chores and the household, you know, the parenting and stuff like that. And it's, it's the mainstream is still that men don't do that. And I think that's causing quite a crisis for women and for men, because women are now more and more qualified. They're more able to, um, you know, they're often the the main earners in the family. They're often the only earners in the family. And yet men still don't step up. So it's, it's quite a crisis. Yeah. Um, and it's been part of my experience. It took a very long time when, when I, when my husband his, when he left his job and his career and moved into something much, much smaller and um, part-time. And I, you know, my business accelerated and I became the main and sometimes solo earner of the family. And it took a long time for him to really step into some of the things that he does now. It didn't just happen. I expected it to happen immediately. It didn't. It took a long time. But, um, you know, I used to go on a business trip and I would write lists and lists and lists and put them on the fridge and, you know, this one has to go to this one place and this one has to go here and this is the numbers and it's the phone numbers and it's the doctor and all the frozen food in the fridge. Like I would prepare for days before I went on a business trip. Now I pack my bag and leave. Oh, nice. But part of that was me letting go and part of that is me saying, I don't care if you take them for pizza every night. I don't care, which he doesn't in the end. You know, he'll take them for pizza more than I will, but, you know, he'll, he'll do whatever way he does it. And it's part of me letting go of it having to be a certain way and let him take over, you know? Yeah. Like in the same vein, um, well, I thank you for that. That was a little bit of a coin flip on my worldview of like where I see things going, but okay. So uh, in the same vein though, you said you leave space for yourself to feel empowered. Like what does it mean for you? Like cleaning, um, living in a clean environment. So for being strong, that's something that I am very, I have a rigid definition on. It's like, oh, being strong, you don't say sorry. You don't say, you know, you don't, you're not overly sweet or something. So, um, but I'm having trouble with it because then it's like cutting off parts of my personality. What is being strong to you? Like, if you're like, that person is a strong leader, like, is, are there rules? Uh, I think being strong is being true to yourself, actually. Really? And I think it means saying sorry a lot because we all make mistakes. You know, if you, if you never have to say sorry, it assumes that you're perfect and we all make mistakes. So you have to be able to say sorry. Isn't sorry you know? like, isn't sorry weak though? Like, No, I think sorry is stronger than anything, actually. Yeah. Because we're not perfect. We make mistakes. And when you make mistakes, you sometimes inadvertently hurt people or cause damage. And then you have to be responsible for that. And you have to say sorry for that. Yeah, but what about the whole thing? Like women say sorry too much. So now. Well, yeah, I mean, you don't have to go over the top, but I think that a strong leader knows how to say sorry. Um, I don't think that uh, you need to apologize for your existence. I think you need to set up, step up and 
you know, sit at a table and be a part of things and not be apologetic for your existence. And yeah, I mean, I come from Ireland originally. Everybody says sorry all the time. They bump into you, you say sorry. You know, that's an Irish thing. And I had to, I did let go of that. And, and I, you know, said, excuse me, or I said, yeah. oh, I didn't see you there. And like, I don't automatically say sorry the way I used to. It's a very feminine thing. But on the other hand, if I've done something that I'm not proud of, or if I made a mistake, I'm going to apologize to the people that have impacted. Absolutely. You know, I think, and that's a show of strength is to be able to admit you don't have the answers. You don't know everything and you make mistakes. And, you go, and you're willing to tidy up your mess if you make a mistake, because life is very messy. Nothing, you know, you can't be rigid about these definitions of what things mean. I think, I honestly believe being strong is standing up for what you believe in, knowing what you believe in, standing up for what you believe in, and living your life true to yourself, not kowtowing to, to somebody else's definition of how things should be, whether that's in your career or whether it's in your business or whether, you know, being strong is having good boundaries. For me, boundaries is a big thing. You know, I've worked on boundaries my whole life. I'm still working on it. Having good boundaries, being able to say to people, no, I don't think I, you know, I can't do that. I won't do that right now. Or no, not now. You know, being able to say to, to, to clients, um, you know, either no, I won't work with you or um, putting boundaries in place around the way in which we interact. So, you know, and that's part of, I think, being strong is having really good boundaries that both protect yourself and protect others. And, mm. and it comes from, again, knowing yourself and knowing what, you know, how you want to show up in the world. That's a good point. Um, like when I set boundaries um, with people, like um, sometimes I will be talking and it, they'll kind of, sorry, like, piss me off I, I mean they'll just like make, they'll try to dominate the conversation or like I'm trying to say something and it's not coming across right so when I set boundaries though like uh, I feel like I get um like penalized a lot or it, it like costs me things and so does it ever cost you things like to set boundaries it's hmm, a good question um I don't think so, because if I'm having a conversation with somebody and they're pissing me off. I don't um, usually talk like that, but it felt appropriate. I don't know if it's like the Irish thing. Well, I, you know, I swear all the time, so it's fine. That's not I one do. of my boundaries. Um, let's say, okay, I'll give you an example. There's a family member, my extended, very extended family, and he tends to tell these stupid kind of sexist jokes. And there's nothing that pisses me off more than that. Like, it just annoys me to my core as a woman as a human being, I don't want to hear a sexist joke. So, you know, in the, at the beginning, I would just like not laugh. And eventually I said, you know what? I'm not the person for you to tell these jokes to. I, I actually take them seriously. I, I don't find them funny. I get offended. And he was just like in shock. And, and I backed off, you know, that was it. And whenever he, I find that he's saying something like that, I'll just walk away. Like that's my boundary. I'll walk away. Uh, I'm not being penalized by that. Like maybe he doesn't approve of me. Maybe he thinks I'm, you know, stuck up, or maybe he thinks I'm too serious. I don't care because it matters to me that women are respected, and it offends me when people say things about women or about any minority or any type of group. You know, yeah. I, I don't want. I'm not going to be around if I hear my kids repeat something they've heard in school that's racist. I'm going to say to them, I don't ever want to hear you speak that way. 
And I don't care if that's, an, and they're like, oh, mom, come on, you're being so heavy. You know, I'm like, no, this is serious. This is important. Like, I care about this. So I don't think if you're being true to yourself in the way you, you um, put up boundaries, then I don't see why you would be penalized by that. And I think if the person makes you, you know, if the person then rejects you, well, good. You don't want to be around a person like that. You know, that's not being penalized. That's being freed. <laughs> you know, it's like freed up from people who piss you off. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. Okay. Let me do a time check. Okay. Oh, 1020. Okay, cool. Yeah. So um, I think, yeah, we're about wrapped up. That's, you know, I could go on and on, but I think we are about wrapped up. That was, it was a good conversation. It was lively. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I wanted to ask you, do you, um, do you have any books that you recommend? Like, I haven't read a good novel in a really long time. You seem like you would know one. Well, I actually just read a brilliant book last week. And it's kind of a novel and kind of not. It's called Maybe You Should Talk to Someone. Okay. And it's, um, it's by Laurie Gottlieb. And it's actually, she's a therapist. And she writes this book about her own experience in therapy and about her therapy clients. And it's fascinating. If you're interested in the human condition and if you're interested in all the stuff we've talked about, actually, it's a really suitable book. But, so that's my first recommendation. But the other recommendation that I always recommend um, is a book called like, Loving What Is yeah. by Byron Katie. Like that's been my, oh my goodness, that's been my Bible. I love Byron Katie. I love the work. I think if you're struggling with your thinking, if you're struggling with any part of life, you should be reading Loving What Is and getting into the work of Byron Katie. Um, yeah. Okay. Except like I read some comments on the Amazon thing and they're saying like what she went through is like, but I probably shouldn't listen to that. You know, cause she had like, well, I don't care. I mean, I've, I've been in the work for the last decade. I've spent 10 years studying the work and I'm a facilitator of the work and I've met her in person and I've gone to her courses and, um, you know, the proof of the work is never what somebody says about it. It's how, how you experience it. And that's true of everything. And yeah, we're influenced by other people's reviews. But I also know that when I'm in the presence of her and people like her, it's an awesome experience. And the work has changed my life. The work has made me more capable, more strong, more empowered, and more calm, more peaceful. So okay. I don't care what the reviews say on Amazon. Don't bother me. Okay, cool. All right. You, you have like a good sensitive side more than I thought. So that's, that's really nice. You're also strong. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Thank you. I think that's a thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's definitely a thank you. It's good balance. Um, so thank you so much. I'm so grateful. Like you, you like made my podcast. You're like my, I mean, I had everybody who's really good, but like, it's like, okay, now I got a really good one. <laughs> thank you. So, yeah. so, so just a quick, um, if anybody wants to, learn more about storytelling, they should go to my website, story-coach.com. Yes. And I've got an ebook there for people who are in business. And um, thank you for the opportunity. Yes. And a really good course that I want to take too. So, um, okay, cool. Well, thank you. And um, hope you have a good day. Pleasure. Thank you. And have a good night. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye. Bye-bye.